Hello, welcome to Objective Health. I'm your host, Doug, and my co-hosts today are Elliot and Tiff. Greetings. Hello. And Damien in the background on the ones and twos. Hello. So today we're going to do another in the news show where we kind of peruse the latest health headlines and give you guys the objective health take on it. Starting things off today, uh, Children's Health Defense released an article um, last week entitled Pfizer hired 600 plus people to process vaccine injury reports, documents reveal. So basically it's just going through, you know, For people who don't know, um, Pfizer has kind of been trickling out uh, a bunch of the documents that the FDA apparently went over to approve it for emergency use authorization. And there have been some real gems coming out of these reports. Um, At first, they tried to actually um, say that, oh, my God, we have so much stuff that we can't bring it out until, what was it, like 2020 or 20. 2076 2076 75 years from now yeah something ridiculous just absolutely ludicrous and it's like you can't put these out even though you know you apparently read all these to give it approval in the first place so anyway they've been a judge ordered them that they couldn't take that long that they had to be more timely about it so these things have been coming out i think there's like one dump a month basically that's coming out of all these thousands of pages of documents and uh, the good people at children's health defense have been pretty diligent about um, going through them and seeing what's in there. And this one was quite damning because they basically um, revealed that they had to hire, I think it was a total of 1800 additional resources to be able to deal with the, um, Averse reaction, um, paperwork, bureaucracy, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, the fact that they had to hire 1,800, I think it was 600 full-time employees and then the rest was, um, I guess, part-timers or whatever the case may be. But uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty damning that they had to increase their number of employees by 1,800 to be able to deal with the deluge the absolute deluge of adverse events reports. And one thing that they say in the article, what they point out is that um, the VAERS system, vaccine adverse event reporting system, where people um, can either themselves or through their doctor report adverse events to to vaccines, it's all vaccines. Um, Between December 14th, 2020 and March 25th, 2022, the total number of uh, adverse events reported on the VARES system um, is now, sorry, the total number of um, COVID vaccine reactions that have been reported on the VARES uh, system, which the total number is 1,205,755, is higher than the absolute total before the COVID vaccines. So before the COVID vaccines came along, VARES reporting had 930,952 adverse events reported. And the total number of COVID vaccine reactions is 1,205,755. So yeah, a massive number. So you can see why they had to hire on 1,800 employees to have to kind of deal with this stuff. 
it's it says that in the 32 years yeah of sorry the database the 32 year history so so, so yeah in it two was, years they got more than right <laughs> right that's crazy yeah in the 32 history 32 year history of the entire database they had 930,952 now just with the covid ones between december 14th and march 25th um in, so that's two years it's december 14th 2020 and march 25th 2022 there was 1,205,755 so massive over double the number of adverse but, events but not not just for pfizer's covid but for everybody's for COVID all of them vaccine. yeah and all the other ones but i mean really this is not surprising considering at least pfizer's track record because they've been fined like billions of dollars for offenses like safety related offenses and lying about the efficacy of their drugs and people being hurt and just all kinds of like bad business practices so they don't have a track record of being a very honest straightforward uh, stand-up company they're just a bunch of medical thugs really so it's yeah. not surprising at all that they would have to take on new employees just to take in all this additional information which i mean they probably are not gonna uh, fully disclose all of that and they're certainly not going to do anything to help remedy like all the damage no. that they caused with all these people who took their shots yeah they're probably yeah gonna... and they still they still have the audacity to call anyone who uh who questions the efficacy or safety of this vaccine, a uh, paranoid conspiracy theorist. Even though the data is in that this vaccine has caused more injuries and adverse events than all other vaccines combined. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, what are, really, when you think about it, what are they hiring those 1,800 employees for? Like, they're just going to yeah. send a note to the people saying, oh, sorry about your luck. Um, better luck next time. I'll follow up with your primary health care physician. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know how it goes. Yeah, exactly. So I think a lot of the time is to explain the the zero liability that, mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that these companies have. You know, people get in contact and they say, well, I've had this reaction, you know, how do I go about suing you, basically? <laughs> and, and I think, that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, honestly, because uh, because they are um, essentially free from liability with the COVID vaccines. Um, I think probably a lot of it is is dealing with disgruntled members of the public who've been injured uh, and, and basically just uh, public relations, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably. Hire a bunch of spin doctors to make yourself look better. Yeah. All really, what they're doing, though, sorry, one second. Or yeah. I mean, they have been. Um, we know that they they were taking note of all of the adverse reactions, but it's it's fairly difficult for to actually find out like where they published them and uh -huh. actually getting it out of them. You know, <laughs> they 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 they're well aware that their vaccine causes uh, lots of issues, but you know, it has to be documents which are leaked through freedom of information acts or whatever um or ordered by 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 courts to to actually get this company to release the documents which then demonstrate the massive amounts of reactions that were known uh, before this was even re released to the public you know during the trials they knew how many reactions that this caused 
Um, and unfortunately, that 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 data wasn't released into the public into the public sphere until what probably less than a month ago. So, yeah. But really, though, why should they own up to anything, uh, considering their track record, like we talked about, and the fact that they have immunity, and they have uh, the government backing for it. I mean, the government does all their advertising for them. Uh, they pretty much had a blank slate. They could come in and pretty much do anything, just deliver the product and the media will take care of the rest by either hiding uh, certain aspects of the adverse events or not talking about it or just distracting from anything else so you know why would they come out and say oh we're sorry or we're going to do something about it or anything like that they don't have to do anything no it's true they have free reign <laughs> <clears throat> no there's pretty much no consequences for yeah. any of their actions um you know even looking bad in the eyes of their of the public like you know unless you they would actually like their their um the way they look to doctors is affected in some way um mm -hmm. like you know because most of the time the public's not going out there and buying it directly um any of their products like it's going through the doctors right so mm -hmm. I d it's it, there's very few consequences for any kind of malfeasance on their part yeah. especially in regards to vaccines but one other interesting part of this article actually um they are talking about how Pfizer expressed concerns about lifting COVID-related measures, such as lockdowns, on the basis that the lifting of such restrictions would, quote, counteract the impacts of this vaccination effort. So they list off three things that they think is concerning. Uh, one, limitations in access to obtaining a vaccine due to infrastructure challenges, uh, i.e. clinic and appointment capacity and systems. So if they were to lift lockdowns and people weren't forced to be uh, their uh, passive acceptors of this vaccine, that would be a challenge. Um, increasing viral transmission fueled by relaxed compliance with mitigations as the pandemic surpasses the one year mark, i.e. masks, physical distancing, limiting travel. So wait a second, don't their vaccines work? Why would there be increasing <laughs> viral transmission if there was relaxed compliance with mitigations if the vaccines work? Right. So they're basically dissing their own product there. Um, increasing circulation of emerging var variants of concern, which are currently driving continued spread of viral infection in Europe, despite extensive mitigation mandates. So, yeah, if we were to lift these uh, these mandates, then um, there might be more variants of concern. Well, why would that be? You know, it it again, if their product works like they say it's supposed to work, then that shouldn't be a concern. I mean, we did a show a long time ago. I don't even remember what it was called at this point where we were talking about there is a very good possibility that the variants of concern, variants of concern are actually being driven by the vaccines. Um, it's forcing the virus to basically mutate. So I just thought it was rather interesting to get a little peek into the way that they think or the way that they try to spin things anyway. Don't lift the mandates, guys. It'll affect our sales. <laughs> Because we know our vaccines don't work. Yeah. Or at least not in the way you think they work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or the way we try to pretend that they work. Yeah. Well, 
Moving on, another one actually from uh, Children's Health Defense called 95% of committee members advising on U.S. dietary guidelines had ties to big pharma, big food. Surprise, surprise. surprise. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this has been the case from the beginning. Ever since they started doing dietary guidelines, it was completely infested with industry people. You know, um, Mm -hmm. people who had a... Um, vested interest in certain things being recommended in the dietary guidelines, um, big industries, mind you, you know, it wasn't uh, usually wasn't like small companies or natural foods or anything like that. No, it's the big processed food companies, the great big massive industries. Um, Yeah. I mean, like the fact of the matter is like everybody has known, well, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people have known for a long time that the dietary guidelines are bunk. Like absolutely bunk. Like the best way to make yourself unhealthy is to follow to a T the dietary guidelines because it's just absolute garbage. And, you know, a lot of people, um, there's big movements. And I mean, obviously they're quite splintered and fractured. Nobody has a a complete 100% solid idea of what people should be eating, even though there's a lot of good um, information out there. But a lot of people have been following the science. Uh, and putting it out there, and you know the to, to see the real the, science. The real science, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people who are actually like looking at at uh, at the science that's out there and uh, the evidence that exists. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just when you look at that kind of stuff, and then you take a look at what the dietary guidelines are actually recommending. It's like they're from two different worlds, you know, completely one hundred percent different. Right. It's kind of like, well, why is this food being recommended when all this science, this bungload of science is saying that this food is actually not very healthy for people? And the reason for it is that it's 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 serving industry interests. Right. It's like all these people on. Well, like they say, 95 percent of the people, uh, the committee members who are shaping the dietary guidelines have uh, industry, our, our industry insiders are, are getting paid by uh, big pharma, big food, probably big ag, like all these, you know, it, anyway, it's just like it's, it's vested interest. It's conflicts of interest is what it essentially is. So no real surprise so, here. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's, 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 sometimes it's, it's more hidden from plain sight. So, for instance, their studies will be funded by these big massive corporations but then other times it's it's not even um hidden from public view like for instance someone will be a co-chair board member of nestle for instance right and at the same time be governing uh be uh determining dietary guidelines you've got nestle you've got coca-cola you've got uh all of these massive multinational corporations who are essentially involved in or responsible for producing the vast majority of junk food, you know, cause really junk food, if you look at it, um, is produced by a small number of companies who, you know, these are like massive conglomerates that own multiple different kinds of subsidiaries, smaller companies. You think they're all di- different companies who make these things, but actually if you look, they're owned by, massive groups like coca-cola or nestle or something right so really it's 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 a small minority 
that are actually pumping out the mass of trash that makes up the 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 large part of the kind of supermarkets um and then for instance you've got the um big producers of industrial seed oils as well again Mm -hmm. it's a small number of companies that actually do this um and when you've got this kind of monopoly on the food supply because that's really what it comes down to it's 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 a complete monopoly when you've got that the 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 resource the, the amount of resources and kind of uh connections and ties and financial resources that these people have that these massive companies have i mean you can imagine if you're a researcher uh or whatever i mean it's it's got to take a if you get given a, a or offered a very large sum of money or a very uh nice package that's going to last you over the next 10 20 years or something like that you can imagine for some of these people it can be a pretty difficult thing to uh to turn down <laughs> uh, especially if they don't you know if there's questions about that kind of moral uh makeup let's say mm-hmm. i think for a lot of people they just they choose to take the money and i i'm interested in what the diet of these top uh, of these policymakers actually looks like yeah you know do do they eat this stuff because if they know that a lot of it is actually just junk um i'd be very interested to see you know what kind of dietary guidelines these people follow i would be very surprised people with insider information if if they actually follow the the guidelines that everyone else has to um have shoved down their throat well, that's just like Facebook. Those Facebook executives up at the top won't let their kids be on social media. Yeah, they know yeah. what's up. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the most egregious... Bet... Oh, sorry, Tiff. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say one of the most egregious um, <clears throat> conflicts of interest that they talk about in this uh, Children's Health Defense um, article is the conflicts of interest in the policy on breast milk substitutes. Um, <laughs> now, the... Uh, Dietary guidelines, basically, you know, I haven't read the most recent one, so I don't really know, but previously they were getting a lot of flack because they basically were saying that breast milk substitutes were as good as the real thing, just stopping short of saying that they were better. Um, But what they found is that there is massive conflicts of interest within the pregnancy and lactation subcommittee of the Dietary Guidelines Americans Committee. Um, six me- they have six members, four of whom, or two-thirds, had conflicts of interest involving manufacturers of breast milk substitutes, right? Now, something as important as infant nutrition, to have somebody, even one person, um, who has a conflict of interest there, is pretty egregious, right? They should have, like, when it comes to infant nutrition especially, you should have neutral people assessing what is important for infant nutrition, but not for these guys. They're okay with uh, a bunch of industry insiders uh, making recobe- recommendations for their um, their products. Well, I wonder what the vetting process is to even get onto one of these committees. Like, who does Honey. the choosing? Like, who are these people? Well, uh, they say in the article that a lot of the people who are put onto these committees, it's not done through an official channel. It's kind of just like, oh, let's throw this guy on there. He's good. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what kind and of background deals are going on? They're giving guidance that they need to disclose any kind of conflict of interest that they might have, but they don't, or yeah. they don't care, or there's no consequences if they get caught having a conflict of interest, it sounds like. 
Yeah. Well, apparently even the names of the people who are actually on the committees uh, yeah. is found on page 822 buried in an appendix mm-hmm. um, at of the 835-page report. So pretty damn close to the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they make it almost impossible to actually identify who makes these decisions. Because again, if there's a, like a lack of accountability, um, I mean, who's really, uh, other than Children's Health Defense or some other like health watchdog, who's really going to take the time to read those things? I mean, yeah. who, no one even reads those reports. Mm-hmm. For God's sake, I mean, like, and if you're going to read them, uh, <laughs> you're probably not going to be someone who has any interest in, uh, in, in, in changing the, the, the system, changing the dietary guidelines, right? <laughs> It's, it, this is this is basically made by bureaucrats for bureaucrats. It's uh, it's it's not really applicable f- to the general public. None of this stuff is even known. And so, for the average person, they they believe, okay, well, these decisions are made by scientists who are up to date with the most uh, cutting edge research and who have uh, the general public's best interests at heart. Like that's what the average person thinks. Um, when you dig into it a little bit, I mean that that kind of falls falls apart very quickly <laughs> and you see that actually uh, uh it's 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 quite astounding how much of this really is just governed by money yeah uh, pretty atrocious that we ever got to this point and the thing is like for the average person this isn't really a big deal because <clears throat> it's pretty easy to ignore these guidelines um i don't think i've ever really um eaten according to the dietary guidelines uh, the problem is that it influences so much else, you know. Um, this will be what gets served in hospitals um, or in old age home, homes. Um, these or kinds of... School lunches. School lunches. Yeah, yeah. Another yeah. another thing. So it's like <clears throat> it trickles down into the rest of society. And people who are in <laughs> in situations where they have no control over what they eat because they're being... Uh, fed by some sort of institution prisons as well um yeah they don't and you know that the food in these institutions schools prisons hospitals nursing homes etc i mean they have some of the worst food ever it's such slop and they just seem to not care uh the average person who's living on their own in their own house i mean whatever do whatever you want but these people who are stuck there and you have to go to school lunch and eat this slop it's just really disgusting yeah well another headline recently from national review moderna to seek emergency covid vaccine authorization for children under six Hmm. so as the title suggests moderna is now searching for or requesting uh emergency authorization for its vaccine for children under six uh it's just, I want to know why they're searching for emergency use authorization. Are we still considered in an emergency at this point? Is anybody still considering COVID to be an emergency? I mean, it's basically oh, over. Only no? technically. Only I mean, they technically. keep renewing the um, uh, emergency authorization or how yeah. they do it. Like every 90 days or so, Biden, at least in the U.S., will renew it but of course there is no emergency and there never really was in the first place but yeah i guess they're trying to get the emergency use authorization 
because they won't be sued if something goes wrong with it until the shot is integrated into the actual mandated vaccines that kids have to use to go be able to go to school yeah it's funny the article says while many states around the country have dropped their mask and vaccine restrictions due to a waning omicron variant the pressure has been on the u.s government and other countries to obtain an approval vaccine for young kids who they claim are still vulnerable to the virus who's putting the pressure on you know the who came out and said that kids shouldn't be vaccinated it is probably pretty unlikely that very many parents are out there demanding vaccines for their children who are under six. So where exactly is, is yeah. this pressure coming from? Oh, the governments are under pressure. It's from the vaccine industry, from the pharmaceutical yeah. industry. That's who's putting the pressure on. Oh, you guys need one for the, the, the kids under six. Like who else would be putting pressure on them? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, who is even talking about COVID these days? <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I swear, like, the average person Us. doesn't even doesn't even <laughs> seem to care about COVID anymore. I, I've rarely, I've barely seen any anything about it. I mean, it's, it really slowed down with the whole kind of situation in Russia. And all, of, you know, like, uh, the average person doesn't seem to care that much about COVID these days. Even you know on social media, I don't even I don't really see that much about it, and that could just be uh, you know kind of that I'm in my own echo, echo chamber. But I mean, clearly it's not the parents, it's not the average member of the public who is putting pressure on governments. No one's pleading with Joe Biden, saying please, please give my children vaccines. I mean, actually. <laughs> There probably are some mentally ill people who are doing that. <laughs> probably, like yeah, we the know, ones who have rolled their kids in the the trial. Yeah, yeah. No, indeed. No, we've we've seen some real some real mentally ill folks who've come mm -hmm. out since the COVID uh, COVID stuff started two years ago and made videos about the Fauci ouchy and everything like that. But those <laughs> people, like it, to the average person, those people are clearly mentally ill. Like so, you know, for the average person, I think that. Uh, no one's, no one was really ever asking for their kids or pleading for their kids and putting pressure on the government for the vaccines. It was known that children didn't get COVID to start with. If they did, it was extremely mild and it was basically like non-existent. And there's almost no children that have actually died from COVID. So really, there's no objective reason why there should be any emergency use authorization. First of all, where there should be any talk about giving kids vaccines um again like like uh it was even said in the article uh where was it um like you just mentioned doug the the article states you know you've got countries basically like uh you you've you've got the the va vaccine restrictions are being dropped the mask restrictions are being dropped countries are coming completely out of lockdown which we spoke about in in one of the previous shows in all of this is, is basically coming to an end. So why on earth would anyone think that it's a good idea to introduce uh, emergency use or, or authorization for children, you know, upwards of six months? I mean, it's pretty obvious, no? If it's obvious FDA, who is pushing for this. If the FDA actually approves emergency use authorization for, for them, I think they've got some, some explaining to do because that, that's just crazy. Like when everybody's dropping their, their mandates, there's no emergency. It's obvious that there is no emergency. But there is some, some talk that mandates might come back. Uh, where is that? In Shanghai and China, they're 
going back into lockdown yeah, and people are getting pissed off. So maybe they know something that we don't know. I don't think this COVID thing is over. Not it, by that's a long quite possible. Shot. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And plus, you know, you can't really put anything past these people. They have an agenda. And we might not know like all the details of how they're going to roll it out, but basically what these big pharma companies ask for from the FDA, they tend to get. So I think it'll be just a matter of time before it's fully approved for everybody from cradle to grave. Well, we've probably got time for one more here. Maybe we should talk about what's going on in Australia, how Australians <laughs> still can't leave if they're not vaccinated. So there was a an article on Joe Nova, Joanne Nova, sorry, uh, who I think is a, a blogger. Um, it's called Unvaccinated Australians Can't Leave Australia Unless They Escape. Is that swim, paddle, <laughs> or dinghy? Uh, so yeah, apparently um, Australia is one of the few countries that is still telling their citizenry that if they aren't vaccinated, they are not allowed to leave the country. I believe Canada is still doing that as well, if I'm not mistaken. I don't understand, though, the reasoning behind that. Neither are they I. pretending that they care that these people are going to get out of the country and spread COVID all over yeah. the world? I mean, that what is, is what their they're concern pretending. here? Yeah, okay. yeah, they are. They are <laughs> pretending that. So even though the, the prime minister, Scott Morrison, is against these mandates, it hasn't changed anything. Um, and it actually wasn't in this article. I, I looked for an update to this article, um, and she did post another one where she had a video of a uh, senator in Australia who was kind of demanding to know from this panel why Australians still, un unvaccinated Australians still weren't allowed to leave Australia. And the answer that he was given was basically that it is to protect the rest of the world. And despite the fact that he said, well, other countries aren't doing this, and they said, well, what they're doing is their business, but we're protecting the rest of the world. And it came out that they had, they were a member of, let me see if I can find it actually, because um, they were saying it was because they had signed on to, let me see here. They signed on to a, a treaty with the World Health Organization um, that basically said, that well i can't find it at the moment but basically it was some kind of treaty that said if we have sick people here we won't let people out of our country because we're good we're good world citizens and and we won't do that now i don't know who else has signed on to this treaty because it kind of seems like a pretty bs treaty if the only people who signed on to it were australians mm -hmm. um but yeah apparently they feel duty bound to not let their citizens out of their country I'll tell you something. I, they, they're they're going to be, this is up for uh, review, I think, on April 17th or something like that. They're going to be slowly, they said, um, lifting their um, mandates. If I was an Australian, the second that that was lifted, I would be out of there. Like, honestly, yeah. if I don't want to live in a country, this goes for Canadians too, for that matter. I don't want to live in a country that is arbitrarily going to decide to lock me in. Like, that is just... Mm -hmm insane yeah. um permanently out there yeah yeah like if, if if it was me forget it like i'm no longer an australian citizen i'll see you later
I'll move but to. There, there's exceptions, Doug, before you start getting all yeah. angry and stuff. <laughs> like if you needed to go somewhere else to another country for foreign medical care, or if you primarily reside in another country, or if you're working for the national interests, I guess that means if you're a politician. Yeah. And you have to be going for longer than three months. So if all those things apply, <laughs> yeah, you might actually be able to get out. Yeah. I mean, they certainly don't make it easy. And it's like, mm -hmm. why would they even arbitrarily make that three month limit? Like you've got to be gone more than three months. Why? Mm -hmm. Like what and, difference and does it make how long you're gone? Yeah. And there's also really like <clears throat> it stinks that there's, that they're, that they're basically lying about the reasons because if you're not an Australian citizen, then there's no limit like you 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 can you can leave yeah. so so the the stated aim is is what to prevent the spread of of covid-19 after the you know the great strides that they made with vaccination and they've done so well and actually allowing people to leave the country would actually would 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 put them back at square one somehow i mean that even that that doesn't make sense from from the get go but the fact that they will allow people who don't who don't live there to mm -hmm. do even if they're residing there or they're resident there if they're not citizens and they you know maybe have a house somewhere else or they they they're from another country they can leave um yet no australians can leave uh it, it really it really it stinks you know it completely stinks i mean it's so obviously just a, a, a an abuse an abuse, a sickening abuse of power on the part of the Australian government against its own people. Uh, and I mean, frankly, I'm amazed that the Australians haven't revolted. I'm not, I'm not amazed seeing what's happened over the past two years, but really, I think over the past two years, the, the two countries that have surprised me the most and have probably gone the furthest in my estimation, at least have been Canada and Australia. Mm -hmm. And that is quite remarkable to witness the kind of abuses that they've that they've uh, that the government has 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 uh, has been doing against these people. How how pure evil and sadistic some of these measures have been. And there's still people in Australia who's talking about uh, individuals in that article who who have basically been denied, um, you know, grounds on on um, what is it compassionate grounds. So for instance, you know, you've got you've got a loved one. I mean, there were lots of stories coming out towards the start of the lockdowns. Um, uh, people stuck in hospitals in some other country, and uh, and 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 their loved ones not not being able to go see them, not being able to leave the country, not being able to cross state borders. I mean, look at what happened in Victoria, New South Wales. Um, it, people basically being locked up and 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 kept for for seemingly no reason with no rationale. Uh, the numbers given. So towards the end of that article, the author says that um in the two years since so we're probably just about exactly two years now maybe slightly more than two years um but she says all told during the last two years the australian government has declared that 147,000 australians did not have permission to leave the country and that is not accounting for all of the many potential many thousands that didn't even bother applying because they didn't meet any of the criteria on the government website. 
So we're talking about a very, very, very large number of people who've essentially been locked in into their country like they were in prison for no apparent reason. I mean, well, I think they're essentially being punished for their disobedience and not taking the vaccine and, you know, yeah. blindly following government mandates. That's I can't think of any other reason why they would want to keep unvaccinated Australians in Australia. Yeah. Like they're, unless Wouldn't they're going to do them something to with them at a later date. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, wouldn't they want to be like, yeah, get out of here, you dirty unvaccinated. Yeah, you're bringing down our herd immunity, you yeah, bastards. Exactly. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, that's about our time today. Uh, well, thanks to all of you for watching and listening today. Uh, we will be back next week with another exciting topic. Thanks to my co-host. Thanks to Damien. And we will see you all on the next one. Bye. Bye.